Blog Talk Radio. one of the very, very best organizations that I know of, and I've been around, 
the block a few times. And actually one more block because today is my birthday and look where I am. Okay. Is that dedication? Thank you. Here I am. So anyway, uh, yeah, I, I, did, I had to shove my kids out. I got to I have to do the radio show. Goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. I love you. Thank you so much. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah. So this is really uh, an honor to have you on, Daphne. Her name is Daphne Young. She is from Scottsdale, Arizona. She is the Chief Communications Officer of Child Help and is now celebrating its 40th anniversary. Childhood features a hotline, 1-800-4-CHILD. Everyone out there, I talk to you about the cards that I hand out many times, many places. And they'll see that number, 1-800-4-A-CHILD. And that offers crisis intervention, information, and referrals to thousands of emergencies and social service. Okay? So um, Child Help just offers so many things. It has programs. It has a new program that she's going to want to talk about. So we have a nice amount of people here now, and I'm glad to see that. And I will call on you. Um, after we give, you know, Daphne a chance to, to speak and, and to get into what she wants to talk about tonight, because the floor is yours. Yes, it is. Oh, thank you so much, Carol, and happy hey, birthday, welcome. first and foremost. Thank it you. is great to make the annual pilgrimage back here, and uh, I, I think uh, being here on your birthday does show your dedication to to not just the show, but the survivors out there who need your voice and need this support so desperately. And what a great service you all offer. So it's a, it's a privilege to be here. And um, indeed, Child Help's hotline is uh, at 40 years old, and uh, and Child Help itself is over 60 years old. And we have programs and services across the country, from residential treatment to advocacy centers to foster care and adoption. Um, and all designed to kind of address the continuum of care of kids and, and through animal and art therapy, just helping the little ones find their voice. And then through our hotline, um, 1-800-FOR-A-CHILD, uh, as you know, that's not just for children. Obviously, we're there for a child in crisis or a parent in need, uh, even an offending parent, as somebody who says, I'm at my wit's end and I'm about to shake my baby, and we say, absolutely. Go outside, sit on the stoop, talk to us. We're going to get you help. Do not touch that child. So it's preventative as well, but it's also for survivors. So if someone listens to the show and gets triggered by a story or, or some information, uh, at 3 o'clock in the morning you can say, hey, I'm not, I can't sleep. This is what happened to me when I was little. Maybe I haven't shared my story yet. And there's a professional Crisis counselor there at all hours to hear that story and kind of help you through the night. Yeah, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. And, you know, we need that so badly because, you know, I used to have terrible nightmares and so forth. And um, mm-hmm. I still have them once in a great while. But and, and I'm alone, okay? So the boogeyman seems even bigger, okay? <laughs> I right, can roll right. up and poke someone and say, hey, you know. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, we like I do that too. The uh, the contact person on the night owl, okay, for this you know, organization, and in the AM hours, yeah, uh, I get a lot of calls too. And and because people, I don't know, maybe they're having nightmares, or uh, maybe they can't go to sleep, like you said. Um, maybe they have something heavy on their mind that's really bothering right. them. Maybe they've had flashbacks and they don't know how to deal with that. 
maybe they feel suicidal and uh, they need someone to reach out to. I've had a 17-year-old recently call me. Oh, my God. And um, so, you know, there's, you know, we're here. You're there. And and child mm-hmm. help is just so, so fantastic, you know. Well, so, and, and, um, it's, and I think when people hear the name child help, right, we forget mm-hmm. that the child inside maybe that was never taken care of, especially if you didn't have a good support network, uh, even when that little person is still inside of you when you grow up, that child needs nurturing. Even if you're a 50, 60, 70, 80, I've been at events where uh, a woman in her 90s stood up and said, I've never told this story and disclosed her abuse. And all it takes is a supportive community and for someone to understand that abuse is never your fault and uh, if you're having anxiety or depression or fears in the night, just getting some grounding exercises, having someone talk you through it, listen to what happened to you and maybe uh, give you just, uh, you know, hey, let, let's do some, some basic counting exercises. Let's do some five senses stuff, kind of get you back in the moment, out of the past and back into the present and, you know, move you towards that good night's sleep that you deserve. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and and it does make a, a big difference. You know, I, I'm sure that people get back to you. I know they've gotten back to me at times. You know, just thanking me for being there. And you know, when we go through this horrible, horrific abuse, um, look, we need someone to talk to at times. Even a seasoned person like myself. Okay, uh, I mean, my cat is so sick and tired of me. <laughs> I tell her everything. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> It's not the same, <laughs> you know. So who am I going to do? Call myself? I don't know. So no, you know, counselors um, need counselors, right? We know that. Like the, the the brightest minds and people who are experts in the field still need somebody that they can kind of be free with and unload on a little bit and recalibrate with, so that they come back stronger for the communities they serve. That's true. That's very, very true. You know, let me tell you, Daphne, when I worked at Greystone, I worked under, I worked with the uh, psychiatrist, and I found out that they had their own psychiatrist, and I busted out laughing. Now, you know I have a sense of humor, okay? So when I heard that, I started just like rolling on the floor laughing, but in the other room, because you you look at psychiatrists and you think of them like with doctors, you think of them like as being God. I mean, we're taught to, you know, like to look at them because they know more than we do, the doctors and all that sort of stuff. So it's so important, even for people out there, never to feel ashamed. You know, uh, I don't care what position you hold. You know that. If you need someone to talk to, you you can call the hotline service. You can call me. You can call other people. You know yes. that's what we do because we're not. Perfect. And we're really focused uh, on self care for our hotline uh, counselors, uh, getting help and reaching out because you hear some of the most horrific stories you'll hear in your life. They also get calls from perpetrators and they hear. Uh, uh, repellent disclosures from abusers that really weigh heavily on their hearts or stories of little kids that need intervention and they're trying to work with the local police and whatnot or anonymous stories from survivors. And so they really carry a burden of these stories on their shoulders and they have big hearts and they love what they do. But um, self-care is so important for anybody that works in this industry because you do carry a heavy load, um, the stories and the circumstances of others and um, so taking care of yourself, just make sure that you can show up as your best self for those in need. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. I couldn't agree more with you with that. 
You know, it's so important. And um, I've had people say to me, Carol, you know, um, maybe you should start looking at yourself a little bit and just take a break. You should take a break, a two-day break, all right, because if I'm not on the show, I'm doing research. I love to do research, okay, and and I have some things written down here. And um, it's just that uh, sometimes I think our brain, you know, it, it, mine gets jammed at times, and I just simply have to right. sort of like say, let go, Carol, go out, take a walk, take a ride, go buy yourself something pretty. <laughs> it doesn't have to be big. Right, right. 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 A diamond could be a little, right? <laughs> Not teasing. I wouldn't do that. But um, you know what I'm saying? Just to just do something, you know, like to yeah. get yourself out of the situation that you're in, the environment. Okay, get yourself out of the house. Go get some fresh air if there is any. I don't know, whatever. Just get out of the house. As they say on know. social media, go touch some grass, right? Get away from the screen. <laughs> go outside. Right. Get into nature a little bit. Touch a little grass. Get Get your spirit uh, renewed because uh, sometimes we get so entrenched in the work because we believe in it and it matters so deeply um, that you can lose your center. And so being able to uh, practice a little of that self-care, it only makes you better for the, for the communities that you serve. And um, you all do such great work here that you know that sometimes you can get that overload, just so many stories or uh, the research can sometimes feel overwhelming because you just think, is there ever going to be an end to any of this? Um, and so being able to step back, get a big picture is so important. And I also think um, creating and making new, uh, new things that, that lessen the load on survivors is essential. And it's, it's part of, you know, when I said I wanted to come share with you uh, some of the, the new research, the new stuff, because I know that research is, is right up your alley. One of the things um, that we had seen so many headlines, especially when you remember the Nasser victims, these uh, women who are, are sister survivors of this horrible abuse in gymnastics and all these sports stories, Sandusky and all the stuff we had been seeing for so long with Penn State, um, we just said there's got to be some something to do for all of this abuse in youth athletics. We we try to get in the schools with our prevention education called Child Help Speak Up Be Safe, where we're teaching body safety, how to tell a safe adult, letting kids know abuse is not your fault, which by the way is very hard these days to get into schools. And I have a big bone to pick with anyone that stands in the way of getting kids the body safety they need because abusers flourish when children are not armed with the simple tools to know that they deserve to be protected, that their bodies deserve to be safe. And so prevention education that's simple and straightforward, you know, a lot of parents say, well, well, I don't want my kid learning that. That's like sex education. No, it's not. Mm -hmm. It is body safety and we know that a majority of children are being abused in homes by family or friends of family, by people they know. So they're not always being protected. And if they can learn, um, it's my body, um, how, how I have choices, how to say no, how to speak up and be safe, this is essential. And so we're already in the schools doing this kind of work preventatively, um, but we realized there's this whole arena of like after school stuff, like sports. And so we just thought, well, let's, let's find out what's being done there. And we realized that there was nothing of its kind where kids could call and just talk about like a, a strange experience with a coach or 
um, it, you know, a parent could say, like, how do I keep my kids safe when they go travel for an away game, like through cheerleading competition or a football game? And so we worked with some of the best uh, experts in the world. And my favorite part is my, my cohorts at the uh, Child Help National Hotline uh, made a fantasy list of, like, top ten experts. And then um, our, our lead started making phone calls. And I always tell people, like, just make the list and daydream big and then give it a shot. And I, I was trying to keep my expectations low, like, well, we'll make some calls and we'll see where it goes and this and that. Every top expert we called globally, Dr. Sterling and, and, and people in Canada and England were just like, yes, we need this. We'll work with you. We'll do it for free. We'll, we'll uh, Dr. Kavanaugh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll make a curriculum for you. We've done some of this research. There's nothing good out there. Let's work together. And, and they really helped us create a curriculum and a plan and a hotline to assist and support athletes, parents, coaches, sports communities who are concerned about emotional, physical, and sexual abuse. And we have athlete-centered counselors who offer confidential support and resources, and you can call, text, or chat online. So it's a super valuable service, and it's brand new, and it's the only kind in, in the world. And um, if your viewers and listeners, or your radio fans, will write down 888 279-1026. It's available Monday through Friday from noon to uh, 8 to, um, Pacific Standard Time. And if you call after hours, you'll still reach our 24-hour anonymous hotline. But it is literally the place you want to start. If your kids are going into sports of any kind, if you're a young girl who's, let's say, interested in a college scholarship and your coach is starting to put pressure on you to have private lessons or I want to, we need to chat about, you have so much talent and you're starting to get a weird feeling in your gut. We can talk through that kind of stuff on the hotline. That's good. That's, that's so, so, so good. You know, um, when I used to live in Phillipsburg, okay, I've moved up to Oxford, um, New Jersey now. But when I lived in Peaburg, um, they had a lot of people. This is one thing that worried me. Now, I wrote a, an article about it, which did get published over there. But um, with the volunteers, the volunteers, you know, no one does any yeah. background checks on these people, all right? And it, it occurred to me one day there was a, a big baseball game going on, and I passed the school and all that stuff, and, and uh, the junior high to high school in that particular school. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, there's all those guys hanging out around there. It doesn't have to be guys. It could be girls, too. This is what people don't understand. That, right. thing, that, you know, they don't understand that women can be pedophiles, too. In fact, the last study shows that there are far more women than we ever at any time ever thought that are pedophiles. And then the Huffington Post a few years ago, and now they're updating it, actually put a list of women's faces, teachers, okay, Teachers yep. who are pedophiles, and um, but how about the volunteers? You know, this is something that um, I have a little problem with because no one really vets them. No one really, you know, looks at them. They just know they're happy to have them. They can help out, you know, on the field, whatever, wherever they're needed. That doesn't mean that they're good people. It means that they could be, uh, you know, people that are in need of help. Or, or whatever. Absolutely, and I'll do you one. Be- you I'll know. do you one better. Uh, the, the many of the coaches, 
and assistant coaches don't go through background checks. So you, have, you bring up one of the most essential points. You have volunteers, coaches, assistant coaches. Uh, you have uh, also bus drivers and, and, and people who are support staff. And you start to um, put all this together, and you, what we know is that predators will always seek out where the children are. They're always going to go to those areas, and sports are just great because you have a lot of privacy. There's locker rooms. There's um, opportunities to um, prey upon people's dreams and athletic stardom. And what are you doing when you are um, helping a young athlete uh, reach their potential? There's a word you hear all the time. You're grooming them for success, grooming them for the Olympics, grooming them for college sports. And we know what grooming means in the abuse world. And so uh, what, uh, an amazing group. Um, and if you ever get a chance to talk to these folks, the Foundation for Global Sports Development. Okay. That, that's interesting, too. Well, I'm, I'm glad that people are becoming more aware of it. You know what I'm saying? Because... Uh, yeah. <laughs> You know, they they look at the coaches, and I mean, I'm speaking about kids now. They look at the coaches for guidance, and and to help them out, and to help them, you know, uh, make their dreams come true. Some of them really do want to turn into uh, athletes, where they're, you know, are out there, and um, and they can be such horrible people. Look, look at the, the school over there in PA, okay, in Pennsylvania, yep. and, and right. uh, so. Yes, and, and here those coaches, a couple of them, you know, what, what did they do? There was one in particular, a terrible man, and he was working with kids who were um, poor. Okay, they came from disadvantaged right. homes, and and um, for God's sake, he was sexually abusing them. And you yep. know what's so bad about all this, Daphne, is the very fact with Penn State, the the I hate to say their name, but Penn State, and but it's well known. So, but yeah. no one said anything. Okay, the people no. that worked in there who were supposed to be, uh, you know, the reporters, you know, and all this other stuff, and they're supposed to keep an right. eye out, they see something weird. They didn't do anything. They didn't want to lose right. their job. And you see, well, that's what, and that's also to. what we call systemic abuse, right? So you, yes. so you have the perpetrator, and that's the mm-hmm. first abuser, and then you have everybody else who are part of the chain of abuse. And actually, when we started talking about this issue, uh, Penn State was one of the big inspirations, as was um, the Nassar survivors and those um, and the coolest of all, Judge Aquilano, who who never let that Larry Nassar, that that dirty doctor, get away with one word against these young women, and all those sister survivors that stood up and told their stories and publicly shared what happened to them. And you know, when you see doctors and people in high areas of authority. Um, act upon young people who are so vulnerable and who are so trusting. Uh, we have another guy who's supporting this program named John Vaughn, former NFL player, uh, Redskins, Seattle Seahawks. Uh, the Foundation for Global Sports brought him to us as well. And he um, was a young male who was acted upon by a teen doctor in Michigan. And he didn't know what was happening to him was abuse. And he's a guy that camps outside on campus and and kids walk by and high five him and he just holds up a sign that says, I'm still here. He's demanding justice um, for what happened to him. And so we see uh, survivors of all ages and and young kids um, just, you know, starting out in sports. And we look at the abuse factors that impact them. So you mentioned um, the background checks. 
and organizational risks. Um, you know, the, the hierarchical relationship between coaches and athletes. Um, the fact that it's based on rewards and, and lots of training, late hours, lots of um, really intimate time together, uh, and sometimes a lack of um, parental involvement. You know, uh, it, it mm-hmm. just turn the kids over to the coaches and, and listen to your coach. Um, and then there's locational aspects, being uh, away at tournaments, uh, sharing rooms for travel, being alone with a coach and unsupervised. Um, and then think about sports culture. So I will tell you, I, I got a, a call from a reporter one time who um, – there, there had been an athlete who had beaten his child, and this reporter was clearly a fan of the athlete and said, was trying to get child help to say that the corporal punishment of this child was, uh, well, that, you know, uh, it, it wasn't that bad and this and that. And this child had been whipped until their legs opened with blood yeah, and, and, and oh, was brutalized. And I said, and they said, well, well you know, spanking's not illegal and this and that. And um, and then the person said, you know, we're we're raising a nation of wimps. And I said, you know what? I've never been in a board meeting where I've been able to pull someone across my lap and spank them. I've never uh, run a team meeting at work where I get to smack someone across the face or call them a name or punch them out or give them a spanking. And I said, what abuse does is it shames and harms a child. And there's so many ways to redirect kids without hitting them and hurting them. And so sports culture can sometimes build that, like, don't be a wimp, walk it off. You got a concussion, keep moving. So there's a lots of different ways that kids can be compromised. And, and it just keeps happening more and more. And so I actually think that organizations are going to have to start doing almost boutique-level services for special types of abuse that are very specific, like abuse in sports. Right, absolutely. That's so well put. And you're so right. I mean, uh, listen. Uh, you don't have to, you know, whip kids and all this other stuff. And corporal punishment, by the way, has they ha- has many different categories. I'm going to go to the uh, panel in just a second, but it has many different panel er, uh, panels. It has categories. At one time, it was okay if you spanked your kid. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now they're deciding with the newest research that I've done, and that was just quite frequently, that they don't think that children should be spanked at all. Okay. Right. There isn't a right way and there isn't a wrong way. And I always say to parents and and people in the past that I've worked with, for God's sake, kids aren't stupid. I'm not talking about two years old who can't think, right? I'm I'm talking about, say, uh, seven years old and up, whatever. They're able to reason. Sit them down and tell them what they're doing wrong and why you're not happy with them. And the worst punishment you can give a kid outside of a beating, right, is uh, to make them like uh, uh, put a little essay together of why they shouldn't have done what they did. Kids don't like essays, right? <laughs> so that, that's heavy duty well, punishment to them. And well, you're not you're laying teaching a them. On they're them. teaching them. Yeah, you're teaching yeah. them skills too that they can use later in life. Because I'll tell you what, if you if you if you don't get something right at work, you're going to have to write an email about it. And that's a much better life skill where you're teaching a kid how to be uh, a responsible citizen than teaching because mm-hmm. they're going to do what you did to them to someone else. And maybe that uh, young boy that you whipped so soundly will now become uh, a, a domestic violence perpetrator because that's all that little kid learned. And they learned that's it right. from you. That's right. 
I always say that too. You know, the kids learn what they see, they see what they learn, and they do what you do too. Now that's my little line totally. that I you know use. And uh, let me let me go to Lori. I know she wants to say hello to you. Hold on a second. Her mic is awesome. open. Lori, yeah. Um, Lori, say hello to Daphne. Maybe you have a comment or a question you'd like to ask. Yeah, hi, hello. Daphne. Um, I am totally intrigued by what you were saying tonight. This is the first time that I've heard you um, speak, and I'm actually just going to not take up your time. I'm going to sit back because I honestly want to listen to more of what you have to say. It's very informative tonight, and I'm very interested. Oh, I appreciate it so much, and I'm glad you're here. And, you know, I think you guys put together a community of people that are doing so much listening and and sharing information. And for your listeners, I think it's so important because, um, you know, I think people sit alone oftentimes. You know, we talk about uh, what abuse looks like, and we think about the aftermath. We all know what the effects of abuse are. And sometimes it's it's the worst case scenario. You know, Carol brought up suicide. We have substance abuse, self-destructive behavior. But even um, if you're living a very, um, uh, you know, staid, comfortable uh, life where, you know, you're just going about your business, there's the private anxiety and depression or poor self-esteem, the kinds of things that you put into a kid's life that are so unnecessary and and. You know, you bring that into their life by through these harmful behaviors. So um, I just think, you know, being gentle with each other and uh, one of the most important things I think that it, it, anyone can walk away from a discussion about abuse is, number one, it's never your fault. And number two, when a little person comes to you with a disclosure of any kind, for God's sakes, believe them. Believe that child. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. They've done studies on that, Daphne, and you know, it's uh, 98% of the time, 98% of the time, children are telling the truth, okay, 98%. Absolutely. That other little 2% is like when they're feeling threatened and they're told what to say and what not to say, okay? And because there's little people, then they're scared of the person who's yelling at them or telling them this or, or, you know, saying, hey, if you don't say the right things to the judge or, or the social workers or whatever, um, then uh, I'm going to make sure, I'm, I'll make your life miserable. You'll be so, right. so sad that you didn't listen to me. Um, and that's usually in custody cases, right, where kids are being coached and things like that. Yeah. And, and usually those are so easy to discover. They're very low-level amounts. But the majority of those little kids that come forward, uh, first of all, most kids do not tell. They keep those secrets. Right. I'm sure so many of your listeners, uh, you know, this is why I'm, I'm totally 100% for removing the statute of limitations for any legal actions because I'll tell you what, it, it can take until much later in life uh, before you have a support network, people that care, a show like this, you know, a place where you feel safe, a community, before you could even come forward to, to say two words about what happened to you. So, Uh, we've seen it time and time again in all of these cases where people blame the women. Well, why didn't you come forward? Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? Well, she didn't, he didn't, because they were terrified. They were scared. They 
uh, felt that because of what happened to them and they don't have all the right answers, they didn't do the quote-unquote right thing, that um, they won't be supported. And indeed, so many are not believed even when they do come forward. So uh, disclosure and handling disclosures is so critically important. And, you know, if you yourself have not, you know, a listener has not been abused, but someone comes to you, I think we can all talk about what that looks like. But I mean, the first thing you do, obviously, is you avoid denial and blame. And instead of having an extreme reaction, right, somebody comes to you and says, you know, Carol, I never, I never mentioned this. I never said anything about it. I was kind of ashamed or I was, you speak slowly, you speak calmly, you allow them to share their story, you um, become a trusted person and tell them how much courage. I mean, our, our program is called Courage First. You know, it takes so much courage just to speak your truth, even to pick up a phone, to, to, to call an anonymous line. And then right. you let them know you did not do anything to deserve this. And you just listen and empathize and don't judge and don't ask rapid questions, acknowledge how hard it is, and then just provide that reassurance and support and say, you know, you were so brave for coming forward. What are the next steps? Do you have someone in your life you can talk to? Um, If that person who hurt you still has access to children, let's talk about that. Let's talk about keeping those kids safe. Maybe it was, you know, a father who hurt you and now there's grandchildren in the orbit. Let's get those kids away from that abuser and let's empower you by helping them. (laughs) That's very good and that's very true. And so often people, um, like I've said this on air a few times, um, I went into Sears when Sears was still around. I don't know if it's around by you or not, but it's not by me anymore. But um, there was this, yeah, there was this lady um, working behind you know, the counter, and we were talking. And she asked me what I did for a living, and I told her different places that I worked. And then I told her, "Hey, I'm a part of NASCA, you know, meeting the show." And she said, "Well, what's it all about?" So I told her, and she said, "Well, you know," um, and I told her I'd been in horribly abused and all this other stuff. Yeah. And uh, so she said, well, I, too, was abused, but I never told anyone. Now, this mm-hmm. lady, you know, it's kind of hard sometimes to judge people's ages, and I don't want anybody judging mine either, okay? Talk <laughs> so, <through> that. <laughs> <laughs> and today's my birthday, all right? I'm 23 exactly. again. There you go. Yeah, yeah. There you go. So anyway, <laughs> so, um, <laughs> but, but anyway, um, we started to talk. And you see, when it's a family person that is, you know, uh, giving you the problem, who's molesting you or, or sexually abusing you even more, where, you know, where there's actually rape involved. And molestation, yeah. by the way, people out there listening, because I've had both, all right? Uh, molestation, to me, is just as bad as being raped, okay? Yeah. And that's sort of like grooming you when you're being molested for a whole long time, you know, and then all of a sudden it goes right. into the rape part, the rape scene. They're both, to me, equal, Okay. Now, in this lady's particular case, um, she was just simply raped, and there was no molestation before. And uh, I said, well, why didn't you tell? Why didn't you tell? And she said, well, the first thing is that it would be exposing my family. See? Uh-huh. And I don't want my family, in other words, she doesn't want the dirty laundry, as they used to say, out in front of yeah. everybody to see, all right? And... um 
I said, well, what about the fear factor? Are you are you afraid to tell? Is that part of your your problems for not telling? And she said, yeah, yeah. Um, it went on for years, and um, I handled it. She handled it, right? She handled it. Right. And, uh, and and she just stuffed it down. She never told him. She's my guide. I can't believe how easily I'm speaking to you. And I said, well, you know who I am now because I've told you, and also I'm a survivor as well, just like you. And she says, I'm a survivor? I said, you're standing there, aren't you? <laughs> absolutely, so, absolutely. Well, it's your yeah. oasis in the desert. When somebody, when yeah. somebody comes forward and says, "I do this work," right? I get this all the time too. It, it's for some people, it's the first time they've ever disclosed, the first time that they've shared their hearts, and and it, um, and you know, that's part of why um, I think a thing like the hotline, a free hotline, is so important because it, it, if you've just disclosed to someone. That you feel very exposed. I mean, someone like you who has a public-facing personality, you've told, there's a woman that we work with, Kathy Picard, who's changed a bunch of laws and written a book, Life with My Idiot Family, and, and she talks a lot about her um, personal abuse, and, and she sued. She changed the laws in Massachusetts to sue her abuser, and it, she, was, she said, who cares if you sue them for a dollar? It's just that the truth gets out, the family learns about it, and here you go. And so she is one of these people who's told her story so many times that she has this great comfort level with it, She, as as do you, where it's just like, here's my story. Um, you can, you can, it's not that you're emotionless about it, but you're just, the strength of, of the times you've told it is there and you're, you're realizing that you're being a conduit for others to share. But for some who've come forward for the first time and and when they tell you, oh, you know, I handled it and, and you realize, well, you might've handled it by drinking or having eating disorders Mm -hmm. or having sleep disorders or having, uh, we know how many physical ailments and sicknesses survivors go through, um, and, and, and emotional and, and all kinds of things. And so, uh, but to your point, you're standing there and there's some bravery there and somebody has just told you, you know, you're a pretty strong lady. Um, but then they might, have, you know, think, well, I mean, I, I feel weird that I said something. And so even just starting that process of telling again and again, calling a hotline like 1-800-PER-CHILD, calling uh, a friend and saying, listen, I revealed something today that was uncomfortable and that maybe you don't know that much about me. And getting that safe people in your life to, to, to bolster you up because I, I bet you that Christmas is different once you've come forward to a few people. You're not just going to walk into that house again, look at that abuser and just hang your head, right? A lot of people change their lives after telling their stories. That's true. That's absolutely so, so true. I mean, today when people ask me to tell my story, I don't know how many times I've told it now. Because I've told right. in universities and, and, and uh, churches, believe it or not. <laughs> I didn't get in the Which Catholic church yet. Which is a great place yet. to tell them. Okay. Yep. <laughs> I, 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 didn't, I haven't been invited there yet, okay? Um, and I'm Catholic, okay? So, um, but um, with other churches, uh, it's usually the uh, Methodist church, and, and then there was, um, mm. I don't know what that other church was. Didn't really have a denomination. I don't know what they were. But there was a church. And, um, and I, I, I was so treated well. I was so treated yeah. well, and I, I really got such a, um, a a charge out of being able to uh, work at that church. I'm going to go back there. I like them, 
and um, and I took in videos, you know, of children, you know, being abused. Nothing so heavy that if someone was like triggered or get triggered, but just you get the idea and what it does right. to a child, you know. You have to be well, careful. There's so much abuse in, in communities of faith with youth pastors and, and, and in mm-hmm. the church because, again, it is wherever you have access to children in need and people who work with children in positions of power. And so I, I took Speak Up Be Safe to the Baptist Church, and I love mm-hmm. what, the, what the, the pastor said before we started. You know, some people are like, well, this is a good, clean church. And he said, listen, the devil can put on a pair of Sunday shoes over his hooves and come walking in here like anyone else. So we're going to sit That's here, right. we're going to listen to this, and we're going to keep our kids safe. And I thought that was the coolest message. And I worked with a woman in the diocese um, who uh, was a prevention coordinator for the Catholic Church. And boy, she was, she was tough as nails, and she had a clipboard. And she would go through the churches and she'd say, you work with children, so... I don't want any blinds on these windows and I want a door that doesn't lock. And she started going through the space and she said, if we create safer spaces, people just don't have the opportunity. She would do things like make you cut the eaves in an area that could be private, for example. I mean, she was brilliant at this. And when she came in and there was still some shade on the door, what did she do? She ripped them down. She said, sorry, you didn't take these down in time. Uh, he goes, well, it's hot in here, and the sun comes in, and she said, well, too bad then. <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> you, you turn up the air conditioner, right, because I'm going to rip these shades down because I don't want you to have an enclosed box where you can bring a child in here for counseling that can't be seen. So we want open spaces for kids. We don't want adults in closed doors or windows with working with children. So I think that any community where children are served should have a prevention lens that just makes the space inhospitable to predators. And predators will move on to a different space because, I know, it's too hard here. I can't, you know, I can't lock a door. I can't get away from, you know. They'll find a different place to go if you put that prevention in place. I think that's brilliant. Like you said, that's a very good word because mm-hmm. um, so often, I mean, I've heard of cases. I'm, I'm sure we all have, okay, uh, those of us who work in the field and so forth where um, a child would have detention, so I'll use detention. Yeah. Maybe there was the only one, uh, maybe that was the only one that had detention, okay? So the kid goes in for detention, and it turns out that that teacher doesn't know how to keep their hands to themselves, and uh, that child is alone with the teacher, and no one knows because the door is closed, and like you said, the shades are down, and this is after hours, too. So most people are, are leaving, uh, even other teachers and so forth. I mean, this, co- this kid's in, a, in a, a bad, bad place, bad place. Right. And so if you take those, um, you know, the doors down, like you said, and the shades off the windows and all the things that, uh, you know, might cause not being able to know what's going on on the other side of the door, then, um, you know, it might be very helpful because so many kids are abused at school. That's why the Huffington Post did that. Okay. Well, guess what they they say? Guess what they say when the uh, kid in detention comes forward and um, dares to say what happened to him or her? Uh, Well, that little liar. I mean, that's why that kid was in detention to begin with. They're a delinquent. They're a bad kid. Uh, You know, they're causing trouble. They're not telling the truth. And what do abusers like to choose? 
the vulnerable child, the child in distress, the child that has difficulty expressing themselves, uh, handicapped children, children with special oh, needs yeah. are uh, four times more likely to be abused, children with medical needs, 33% more opportunity to be abused. Um, you know, so, so these children are um, so vulnerable. And I remember working in a school once where there was a, uh, there was a teacher who was um, very, very well off. This was a kid. Uh, this was a school for for kids that had um, a lot of financial issues and educational issues. And um, he was considered such a good Samaritan for bringing his, you know, great education and knowledge to to work with these poor children. And um, he really kind of soaked in the adulation of that. And I started noticing that he was being unusually focused on some of the young women. And um, some young girls started to disclose things, and I took it all the way to the top and, and made my reports. And they were just like, well, these, are, these girls are, do poorly in school, and they're ganging up on this guy and whatnot. And um, I, I fought and fought and fought to get rid of this guy. And uh, eventually, he ended up touching a young woman, and her father came barreling through the school and, uh, you know, almost swinging. And suddenly something was done about it. But I thought, well, what about all of these disclosures and reports that we made prior to this touching incident? Get rid of them before they take action. And uh, so, you know, even teachers, even the, the teachers advocating for the students sometimes are not believed until something dastardly happens. And then, uh, well, you know, clear. that's, yeah, you know, that, yeah. that's where like the police department, um, when I was over one of the universities, uh, centenary, I was there quite a bit. Um, I, and I had the police there one night, they will, they came to listen to me speak. I didn't know they were going to be there. <laughs> I had no idea. So, you know, I'm such a clown. I had to watch myself and so forth. And I had to teach them and everything that I taught them, they took back to the academy. And I was told that I had, you know, given them a good, you know, speech and all this other stuff, and they thanked me for the information that I gave them. Now, uh, police officers have to realize, I don't care whether a kid is a juvenile delinquent. Right. Now, listen, even those who were in juvie, because I used to work there too, um, sometimes they get abused by staff or in some of the organizations they have police officers there. Um, I worked in a facility like there where we housed the uh, the young offenders. And uh, so, of course, there are police officers there. That doesn't make them God. Uh, there was one that actually Absolutely. abused one of the kids, one of the boys, not on the girls' side, one of the boys, all right? Yeah. So, um, and it was a hard thing to get people to understand that not everyone is perfect just because you're a police officer. Now, I love cops. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But uh, there was one that had to go. Okay, he had right, he had right. to, uh, you know. So I, he took a kid's head and put it in the toilet. That was one kind of a Oof. okay. Now wow. I mean, come on. I mean, so that yeah. one I'll tell on you. But but the rest of it, you know, you can just use your imagination. And uh, then, of course, uh, there was that case not that long ago where I was picketing outside of the courthouse, and um, I had been given an email. I, one was written to me where people were begging for me to go and, and be a part of the protest. So a friend of mine and I went, and uh, we were standing outside, and, and this this terrible sheriff, and you've probably heard the name, Sheriff Bullock, 
Have you heard that case? I don't oh, know if you did it. Oh, sounds familiar. Ah, look it up. He's dead now. He died at the age of 84. Now, one thing that the survivors have to understand, today we're in a better position than we were many, many, many years ago. There are organizations out there like Child Help, which is wonderful. They can call uh, they can call NASCA and go to the contact list. They can talk to me if they want. I'm just about up at the top, right under Dr. Nancy. And, um, you know, if you're being abused, don't think, you know, just because you've been in juvie or you are in juvie, because I can work with kids as well. I, I do that at times. Um, that, you know, that you're not going to be heard because, yes, there is that uh, problem out there, but the police officers, too, have to learn, again, the stats that I just gave you. 98% of the time, kids are not lying, okay? Absolutely. And, um, yeah, they have to be heard. They have to have a voice. So um, they Well, and you off. mentioned Sheriff Bullock and, and the turning of a mm-hmm. blind eye to child sexual abuse, and this, yeah. I can I call those people the, the, the careerist folks that work in child welfare, the people mm-hmm. in, in law enforcement or, or the medical profession, anyone who turns a blind eye to child abuse or says children lie or tries to, um, you know, uh, I call them colluders with the predators. I, I say your hand is now on that child as well. Whether you ever touch them, uh, the fact that you turned a bl- blind eye, you know, the Penn State case and others where there there were so many people who knew what was going on uh, or yeah. who had, who had uh, a sense of what was going on and, and looked the other way. And those people are in their own right the predator's best friend, their ally, their support system, because you left that little child hanging. You left that little child experiencing what they experienced, and you gave them something to deal with for a lifetime because you didn't want to ruffle some feathers or fill out some forms or have a difficult day at work. And so those people should be ashamed of themselves as well. You bet. And when I was down there, I get so mad when I think about this. I really do, Daphne. It was like 94 degrees out. I don't do well in heat. I melt, okay? <laughs> my makeup melts, my hair melts, and I melt inside. I just don't <laughs> like heat. So, you know, yeah. but I didn't care. I was there for a good cause. Now, this sheriff, um, when he was actively doing this, was years before. The survivors grew right. up. And uh, they were like in their 30s. Uh, some looked like a little younger, some a little bit older. And it wasn't all of them, but there were quite a few of them protesting outside the courthouse because they wanted him. They didn't care that the sheriff had turned 84 years old. Right. They were pushing him in the, into the, you know, into the courtroom and everything in a wheelchair, and he had an oxygen tank. I don't care. Even if he did mm-hmm. six months in jail, it would have been better. Okay. Exactly. But because there were so many people outside protesting, and we were quiet. Okay, we weren't rioting, all right? We just had signs, and and people would ask what's Mm -hmm. going on. They'd pull over what's going on. Well, it caused a ruckus inside of the uh, courtroom. They didn't like having people so many. So what they did was they changed the county for him to be heard the proper way. In the meantime, he died. Yeah. So you see, he was 84 years old, on oxygen, so survivors, oh, my God, if they'd only come forward. Now, you can come forward today easier, you know, than many, many, yeah. many years ago. Okay, this is my point of trying to get this across. 
And um, because they, we do have our organizations and we do have people, I mean, they're starting to talk more about child abuse, even on the news you hear it um, today, than they ever did, okay? So this is good for survivors. But who do survivor children, okay, before they become survivor children, when they're in the house and they're being abused, who can they right. go to? See, this is a problem. Well, this is part of why um, we added this feature of text-to-chat because we realized, especially during the pandemic, um, if you were right next door to everybody quarantining, uh, try to call a hotline on your family's phone line or on the phone and someone's going to hear you. But you can shut the door, go into a bathroom, and a child can text uh, 1-800-PER-CHILD and start having a complete conversation with one of our counselors. And there's a little button that you can kind of push if someone comes near and just, boop, you're right out uh, on your computer to chat to. There's like a little line, too, that you could pop out of. And it, it, you can look like you're doing your homework and have a full-scale conversation and say, hey, I'm trapped at home with my abuser. Um, that You know, he's getting more and more drunk. I'm really scared. Uh, and our counselors can help get somebody over there to take care of those kids. And if you're a woman in a domestic violence or a man in a domestic violence situation, you can also have that kind of private conversation, even with the abuser in the house, uh, and, and still be able to get some support. So um, that's just something to know uh, for those who are in situations where maybe they feel that someone's watching them constantly. Um, you know, how do I get that help while that person's in the home or barricading or controlling me to where I can't feel like I can leave? Right. And that is so, so, so important. Because, you see, my abuse started when I was six, and that was my yeah. sexual abuse started when I was six. And I was in the house of a pedophile, and I had no one who cared for me. My mother was gone. I didn't know where she was. And my so-called father, and I say so-called, I found out through ancestry that it wasn't my father. I had no one. So who could I yeah. tell? You see, this is a terrible thing. Now, right. there's many of these out there, you see. So if they, we have to get the word out, and I say we, all of us, well, we work together and to some degree, because for God's sake, kids out there, I know how they feel. I know that scared, yeah. lonely, hopeless feeling. Um, by the time I was seven and a half, I squealed on him, and then he almost ran me down with his vehicle. He meant to kill me. He wanted to, okay? He said he was going to, wow. and he chased me, okay? So don't think I don't have nightmares, <laughs> okay? Yeah, and, uh, but he didn't get and me. And you're such a verbal pharmacy. storyteller, but it's brilliant mm-hmm. that you go back to that little person that didn't even have words yes. probably to describe any of this, trying to tell her story, and that is That's what's right. so important. People, you, you're you're able to put so much language and story around it, but you still can remember the the boom, 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 the beating heart, the fear, the sinking stomach, oh, the, the the bad oh, feeling, and and that's what these kids need to hear. That I get you. I know what this mm-hmm. feels like. You don't have to have the right words. I believe you. I believe yes. you. Yes. So yes. important. And they need that. They need that, and they absolutely do. Let me go back to Lori. Then I want to go down to Bill. And there's people that listen through the uh, computer because uh, they don't want to come on air. <laughs> they don't know how easy going we are, but that's okay. Um, so, let, you know, let, let me see if Bill has a, a comment to make. I know he's working, but okay. Yeah, Billy, hi, there. Carol. Hi there, Daphne. It's hi, really Bill. good to have you back. <laughs> oh, thank you. 
Oh, yeah. Well, we look forward to this again. We do it about every year, and we're delighted to do so. Because, you know, frankly, when we founded um, NASCA, one of the first things that went on the website was the child, uh, was the 1-800-4-CHILD and child health, you know, um, information. Because that's how important I believed it was. You know, it is. Um, and, I, you know, I, I've been, we've had this up now for, I don't know, 20, no, not 20, 15 years, something like that, 14, 15 years. And it was literally the first thing posted <laughs> on the web pages. So, no, that's very cool. We appreciate it so much because, you know, it's like you guys open up this forum and you get people talking and you get people sharing ideas. And, and you know, Carol, when you share your story, I mean, it's, it's, we, this is a harrowing story about a little person. And, and, you know, so many kids, I mean, the fact that you had enough gumption at seven to, like, come for, I mean, and, and, but you can even see that a strong little kid that, that has, that gives words to it is still in so much peril and danger the minute they come forward. There's a whole new kind of danger that they haven't even realized while they're being abused. And so um, the fact that you guys have created this forum, but then also to tell the stories and then also to give that, like you say, Bill, that resource afterwards where, poof, I just went through, I heard some, some tough stuff and reminded me of some of my stuff and you just pick up the phone call, we're there for you, and then they know they can just come back to the next show and, and get a little bit of that peace of mind and, and that support again for what you guys do. So thank you guys for this great service and your longevity too, just keeping a safe well, space for is, people. This is, I was, I was uh, about 25 years into my healing when, I, when this got launched. So it's 15 years now more, and that means I've, I've been doing it for 40 years. So we kind of know Brilliant. what we're talking about. And this, <laughs> yeah. this website and this this nonprofit is designed to be as comfortable as it can be for the survivor. Because I have yeah. a lot of experience in being extremely uncomfortable with what I encountered along the way. And ultimately, I, when I, uh, I I had to retire early, um, I sat down at my desk, which I was capable of doing, and said, now, what would I, <laughs> what, what kind of website, what kind of nonprofit would I do? And so I eliminated everything that had bothered me, and I included everything that would, and that's what NASCA is. Uh, yeah. and, and therefore, we find it, it's uh, thought of as, um, you know, pretty comfortable, because I, I'm a survivor myself. I experience all the negative stuff that other groups, have. and of course, child help is also a very, comfortable place, a comforting place. Mm -hmm. And uh, we want people to know that it's out there and you've been doing, uh, you know, such a wonderful job for 40 years. So God bless you and thank you again, Taffy, for being on the show tonight. Oh, thank you guys for having me. I'm I'm lucky to, to be able to, to come and share with you guys. And you know what's crazy is now you guys are kind of pioneers in this because now agencies that are starting up actually demand that you have survivors as part of your board or part of your advisory team, and they call it lived experience. If you don't have people with lived experience, you don't know what you're talking about. That's well, right. I think we have well, thousands and thousands. <laughs> I know Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. It's what makes you good. <laughs> yeah. All right, yeah. thanks, Daphne. Appreciate you being here again. Thank you, guys. God you bless bet. you. Oh, yeah. So thank you for that, Bill. Um, two things I want to talk about, um, but I, I want to get Lori on first. 
And um, so, Lori, you might have a comment, or maybe you want to ask a question. Um, I've gotten a lot of information from you, things that I didn't even realize just from the very beginning, because it never occurred to me to really call somebody to talk to when I can't sleep. So even though I am, you know, older, and I should have known that, uh, I did it. So I'm learning tonight, and I find you just so very awesome to listen to. You you and Carol and Bill, I mean, so much information. Thank you, Lori, and I, I love that. You know, I, I feel like um, the sort the you know Bill talked about like how far into his healing, right? I don't think it, it, it describes it as this ongoing process, and I think that's 100% right. Uh, it is a full journey. It is your whole life. It is um, ups and downs, um, forward movement, and then backsliding and and frustration, and so. Um, having those little tools and touchstones, communities and connections, and even an anonymous place where you don't have to give your name or your story, even you can just say something simple like, hey, I, I'm, I'm too tired to even tell you what went on, but um, I just feel anxious, having nightmares, night terrors, uh, and, and just let someone walk you through the process. You don't have to be in immediate crisis to be an emotional crisis and need that support. That's right. That's right. And, and, you know, it and by here, the way, there's no um, small trauma. I saw a great video. If you look up, the, you'll like this. Um, this is Kevin Smith, the director, did a video for People Magazine, and it, and it was about trauma. And he described an incident that happened to him, and he said, I just packed it away, no big deal, um, not part of my issue, uh, and never thought about it again. And th- there are no small traumas um, when you know Carol brought up a great point, she said, "Hey, molestation is is in her mind is bad because when we start to differentiate whose is worse and what is worse, some people are going to go through horrific, unbelievable things that you can't even imagine. But some people are going to be highly traumatized by something that maybe they think, well, this wasn't as bad as rape, so I probably shouldn't feel bad about it. But the point is, if it's keeping you up and it's freaking you out and it's getting in the way of love and life and relationships and health and moving forward, it matters. And you deserve to, someone to pay attention to it and, and value it and, and support you. So uh, if you pick up that phone and you think, well, you know, maybe there's a child who's in crisis right now who needs this more than I do, we have plenty of counselors. Just make the call. That's right. That's right. Wow. Awesome. It is awesome. Now you see why I wanted them on. So, you know, um, I I tell all the people, you know, I want child help on, I want child help on, because you have so much, you know, to offer. And, and two, it's 24 hours a day you can call because they they have that 1-800 number um, for a child. And it's 24 hours a day. It's seven days a week. It doesn't take a vacation, as I like to say. And yep. it's with the professional counselors, and I found this out. And and they speak over 170 languages, okay? Yeah. They provide assistance in over 170 languages. The hotline offers crisis intervention, information, and referrals to thousands of emergency social service and support resources. So I wanted to get that out because I want people to know, you know, how much you do offer, you know, to society, to people who call. I called at 2 o'clock in the morning one time, Daphne, I don't know if I was speaking to you. I spoke to other people there, too. 
in the morning because I didn't know exactly. This is before we got to know each other, right? <laughs> so, all right. Um, so, anyway, I called at 2 o'clock in the morning because I wanted to see what, you know, the counselors would sound like. Okay, there's a little bit of music. I waited for like half a minute, not even. And um, someone came on, and I made like I was a person who needed help. <laughs> That's what I did, and so I was saying, Good "Oh, for you. coming out." I don't remember. Well, I don't even remember what I said anymore. But the you know lady was doing her job. She was doing it so well. She was so professional. And finally, I said to her, "Hey, you can stop now." And she said, "What?" <laughs> so I told her who I was, you know, and uh, what organization, you know, the the National Association of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse, and NASCA. I gave her the website, and I said. Not you, not you people, not child help, but other um, uh, other websites, and, and I've gotten all kinds of information that when they call hotline numbers, um, they get nowhere. They get right, nowhere. Right. And, and, well, I, and so that's I part said, of that part of there's a new thing where they do almost exclusively like bots and things like that, where they they um, have like then it's 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 like pre predestined answers based on AI and for my money there's just nothing that um, replaces the compassionate voice like you said of a person at 2 a.m. who's working that night shift who was a degree Mm -hmm. crisis counselor who has a lot of experience in this and who has a vast database so if you say hey I'm calling from Poughkeepsie or I'm calling from uh, Orlando we can get you resources in your area talk you through uh, the issues listen compassionately, um, and also, um, you know, work through, uh, hey, I need to get some legal help, or I, I'm in a custody battle, or I'm in a crisis situation where I, I'm scared to drop my kids off this week, and at least talk through those issues and uh, help people learn how to document. You could be a concerned citizen, but I think what you did is exactly what we want people to do. If you're giving that number out on our little cards, as you say, like when you go out to talk, um, you should test that system. You should say, hey, if I'm going to tell you to call child health, it's because I called myself and tested and made sure they were up at two and made sure that they were saying the right things. That's what I do. That's exactly what I do. So some of those Absolutely. phone calls you get is uh, because of my mouth, <laughs> because I do tell people about you all the time. Absolutely. Yeah, and when I hand those cards out, like we were saying before, your number's on there, okay? And uh, then if you turn the card over, I think it, it even says child help. I think it goes a little bit further than mm-hmm. that. So I'm due to get a lot more cards again because I've handed all of my cards out. I went to Fumble for just the other day. I thought I had three maybe left. I had nothing left. I go, oh, my God. So the person I was speaking to, I couldn't give him a card. That's my point. So I have to get a lot more made. But um, I hand them out all And we can the time. try to get some for you and also some courage first cards so if you're ever speaking to school programs and you know uh or sport ymca or anything um you definitely have those to pass out as well so we'll try to um after the show get some of that material to you because it is that word of mouth um from another mm-hmm. survivor and especially an advocate for survivors means the world they trust Absolutely. you I, I I very much appreciate that, and it, because it's such um, a, a terrible thing. Now I read because I told you I, I didn't know if we were going to have a website tonight or whatever. I didn't know if I was going to have an infection in my you know it was just a, a bad day. Ah, you know, 
So um, I looked at the programs. <laughs> I looked at your programs, and um, I, I was really, uh, you know, what I was reading was outrageous. And then also, too, speaking about the pandemic, now, before the pandemic, a suicide was always a thing, a deal that it was going up each year, which I'm aware of because I call the hospitals. I speak to the Mayo Clinic. I speak to Presbyterian Hospital in New York City and uh, some of these others. And um, and I ask them about the emergency room and kids being brought in with the typical type of injuries that the children have. And now, of course, it's the head injuries. Okay, you know that. Yeah. And yeah. Th- and those kids they have to keep a lot of time because they're so you know so abused and so forth, and um, it, it's just a, a terrible thing. But um, what I want to ask you about is the um, I think the people would like to hear this too. The uh, the Alice C. Tyler Village of Child Help. I looked it up. I found it. It's right there. Um, why don't you tell the public about that and how they work with the children? Uh, that's it. Well, the work that we do in residential treatment. So we might get children mm-hmm. from uh, uh, various, uh, you know, uh, whether there's CPS, DCS, uh, uh, some children coming from foster care, some people with caregivers, uh, those types of situations. And we have um, uh, some kids are frankly in situations kind of like what you described in your own life, where if a little seven-year-old uh, told and someone believed them and, and advocated for them and uh, they'd say get get them away from this predator right away and into a safe place and it might be a place like um, uh, a village where you have cottages, you're with other kids um, there's caretakers 24-7 um, they have a barn therapy program because some kids don't want to talk to another adult. If that adult has been abusing you, uh, you definitely feel maybe a little more comfortable. Uh, we've had kids that want to go in the barn and tell their stories to a horse or a dog or something. So that kind of bringing animals in for comfort, allowing children to uh, draw their feelings in art therapy, uh, that that's kind of in the extreme case, you know, where a child needs that 24-7 care. Uh, we also have... Uh, Child Help Children's Centers, which are advocacy centers, and these are great. Again, we take little Carol, who came forward at seven. Imagine if one of those uh, great police officers got involved, brought you into an advocacy center. You would have walked through those doors. A therapy dog would have greeted you. You would have sat in a room and told your story to a compassionate counselor, not realizing there was a little camera up in the ceiling, and a bunch of tough detectives and, and, and people were watching in the other room, taping that so you would only have to tell your story one time, not have to go over and over again, not get confused by some clever, um, you know, uh, defense attorney for the predator or adult saying, oh, did you, what do you mean this or that, having a forensic interviewer get the story straight, and then having that medical exam and everything done in the same place so that that followed you to court. And sometimes we even have, you probably have heard of BACA, the Bikers Against Child Abuse. Oh, yeah. Sometimes mm-hmm. when the kids are afraid to come forward and tell their stories, BACA will show up, give them a little vest, stand up, and actually block the view of you can't make a nasty face at that child while they're Nope. Are we losing her? Can you hear me? No, I I lost you for a a moment there. Go ahead. Let's try again. I don't know what happened. No, just uh, talking about, about, you know, 
Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and the, advocacy, the advocacy centers are just such a great place for kids to get that. Every professional that needs to be part of your case in one room and advocating. So, you know, we've come so far in what we are able to do for children. And it's so amazing, and it's so important because, you know, like, um, okay, by the time I got out of that place and went someplace else, and I ended up in New York. I was born in New York, so I was comfortable in the city. I'm I'm more of a city person. Right. I don't like the bears where I see roaming around here. I don't like the coyotes either. <laughs> oh, I, <laughs> yeah. I think I went too far up into the hills. All right, whatever. So um, <laughs> what I'm trying to say is, you know, like um, I had to be taken along with 13 other girls. There's 14 of us to um, the police department, and they had caught finally. They finally caught this this maniac out there who was kidnapping and raping little eight-year-old girls. I had eight by that time, living in New York at Staten Island. So um, he pulled me into his vehicle, and away I went. And uh, he followed my city bus home. And he knew, he knew where I lived, okay? So we owned a lot of property. I gave my mother and stepfather, you want to call them that, you know, they, they they worked hard. They had a big flower farm. We owned many acres. It was so big, Daphne, that one end was Signs Road and the other end was Victory Boulevard, okay? That's how many acres, all those acres in there we owned. Mm-hmm. This, this perpetrator, this, 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 oh, I can't even say it on air. This person, okay, um, knew where I lived. So if he picked me up at one end of my driveway, now he wasn't a murderer. He may have turned into one. I don't know. But he could drop me off at the other end of the driveway, and I'd get home. The house was like in the middle, okay? Which means he probably came in and bought flowers for his wife. I was telling Lori this the other day. He probably came in, bought flowers for his wife, and went home. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So yeah. um, when he was caught, now this is where I am so against the system. Um, when he was caught, and there were 14 of us that had to go to court, we didn't have a place where we could go and tell our stories. We had to go into the courtroom, okay? And uh, I had to go into the police department before that. And then when they actually caught this nut, um, we went into the uh, courtroom, and they thought it would be therapeutic for we, the children, to see him getting sentenced. Well, one little girl standing next to me, she urinated on the floor. That's how scared she was to see this monster again, okay? And um, I was moving around because I didn't want to get wet. And people were all moving around, the kids, I'm talking about the kids now, we were, in, we were in the back of the courtroom. This place was packed with people, packed. So, you see, everybody came to the courthouse because to have 14 children at one time, okay, was a, a big deal, all right? So, um, anyway, he got three years. That's it. Wow. So, so I'm standing there thinking I'm eight years old. And when he gets out, I'll be 11 years old, and he knows where I live. So you see, that adds to the trauma. It adds to that trauma, the fear factor, okay? And I developed panic attacks at at 9 years old. Now, my reason, and they lasted until I was 49, and I got over myself. I won't even tell how on this air, not tonight. But I I don't have them anymore, obviously. I'm on this phone. So, Yeah. So um, anyway, the point is that the system has to change too, because when you catch when you catch yeah. a, a, a pedophile, 
And then you go up to the next age group, the hebephiliacs, I think they're called hebephilites or yeah. whatever they have to call them. I've got to look it up. I have it written on my wall here. I have a whole bunch of things written on my wall on paper. And um, there's three different categories. You have those that go after infants. How disgusting is that? And then yeah. you have, uh, you know, the, the toddlers and, and, and then up to, uh, you know, age of 12, say. And then they want the uh, the 12-year-olds and up, okay? So you have the three different uh, categories. And um, when these monsters get caught, now the best place for them is in prison because let me tell you something, you can't yes. change them. No. And uh, a lot of study, for decades they've been studying pedophiles and then those in the next category. Let's just call them sex addicts, sex perverts, whatever you want. They can't change them. Now, Unfortunately, that's the truth. But when they're on the inside, and I hate to put it this way, but you'll understand, this is where yeah. a lot of justice comes in. Because on the yeah. inside, a lot of them have nieces, they have nephews, they have um, maybe it's their own children, you know, that are outside yeah. and they have to worry about nuts like that. They might be in for theft, but they're, they're not a pedophile themselves, all right? Right. So Even among comes, criminals, these monsters are right. considered a different breed. And, you know, the, the, what yes. you describe, too, is a lot of people don't realize. Sometimes they think, well, how did so many things happen to one person? We know um, that statistically, if a child has been abused within the home, it makes them mm-hmm. so much more prey for external abuse, whether it's others knowing that the child is not receiving support, whether the child experiences other forms of abuse like neglect, and it just makes Mm -hmm. it rife for other types of abusers to find them all the way up through personal relationships later in life. Uh, You know, Mm -hmm. um, it sets a path. And to your point, uh, then if the system doesn't support uh, and these guys get back out in a short amount of time, that little bit of safety that you have for a year or two or three when they're when they're locked away, um, you know, it, it preys upon your mind and, and, and it makes you fearful of the next step. And that's why it's so important to have uh, really put these predators away because a lot of them have uh, one predator can have so many children in a lifetime. They can harm so many little ones. It just takes one predator and often it's their own children, friends, family, you know, God forbid they work with children and, and sports clubs or schools or, or in the church, you know, and they, they'll harm virtually anyone that they can groom and get their hands on. Well, that's well said. And this is why I had, starting way back when with the conversation, I was worried about the kids out on the field because, you what? see, predators like this, they go where children go. This is what people have to yeah. understand. And I get so mad at people because, you see, um, I'll, I'll, maybe I'm doing a presentation or, or whatever or just or speaking to a group of people. I've had as many as 200 at my presentations over at the university, especially when I told my story, okay? My book yeah. was new then, and it made it all the way over to Japan. What a riot. Oh, my God. And that's my payment right there. But yeah. the point is this. The very point is this. Is I'll have parents say to me, I think it happened in one of the churches I was at. Yeah, it did. Um, say to me, I don't want to scare my children. I don't want to tell them things and, and put more in their heads to have them worry about. I want them to be children first and then tell them, you know, later on and and, uh, and leave it at that. You see, 
there's a time and a place. People have to understand this. And you, who better than you? You understand. If we don't tell our children about, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly, which is the way I always put right. it. Right. Um, if we don't do this, um, and the children, you know, when you're giving them a bath, okay, when you're giving them a bath, they'll say, Mommy, what's this? Daddy, what's that? Blah, blah, blah. Well, you tell them the names of it, okay? Yeah. Because when I was standing in that police department, even though I'd already been sexually abused, so we're talking about when I was eight years old, okay, mm-hmm. in New York, okay, because I, I moved from place to place, um, I didn't know my body part names. So all I could yeah. do was point, okay? And, yeah. and, um, and you see, children have to have the information. If God made our head, if he made our neck, he made our shoulders, he makes our breasts, he makes our stomach, he makes our vagina, or he makes our penis, whatever it is, if we're male or female, and, um, and our knees and our feet and all this other stuff, well, then don't be afraid to give the proper names to your body parts because a child right. who is being questioned uh, well, what happened? And they don't know the names of their body parts. They stand there and they feel stupid, like I did in the police yep. department. And I'm pointing, okay, here, here, here. This is what happened, okay? And thing, thing, using the word. Yeah, and, and, and a clever defense attorney can say, well, the little girl just pointed here, I think, to her thigh or her knee, and or the child mm-hmm. said he touched my cookies, you know, with a chocolate chip or vanilla. Oh, I mean, yeah. so if you give kids funny little names for things, you know, um, you know, my flowers, oh, I think he handed the child a rose. You know, I don't know what, and so so that that really puts a child at a disadvantage. And I will tell you how hard it is to fight to get prevention in schools. I tried to get. Um, teachers just to, I was supporting a representative and and testifying before the house to try to get teachers some extra credit for teaching stuff like this. Are you a man? Elementary school teacher just to do basic body safety um, with a very simple curriculum. And um, Mm -hmm. they, they were against it. They said that that belongs in the home. Well, Carol, you can tell me how well they were teaching you in the home about your body safety and how lovely that was. You know that half of the other through similar types of things that you probably never knew about. You know, one in four, one in six. We know that oh, these yeah. kids are being harmed, and that's just the one we know about, not some of them that we'll never mm-hmm. find out about. So, um, you know, I, I was so angry um, that these folks wouldn't listen, and there was all these sweet school teachers saying, well, we have to think of the children. And so I got up there, and by the time I got up there, I'm sure uh, we share a little bit of a personality type. I was a little bit heated. And um, so I got up there, I was a little mad, and I said, hey, uh, you all agree with the Second Amendment, right? Oh, yes, yes. I said, oh, great. So if somebody breaks into your house and wants to steal from you or, or aggress your family, you're going to stand your ground. Wow, of course. And I said, great. Mm-hmm. So you allow your children to walk out of your home, out of your home, unarmed with prevention education, unarmed with body safety, unarmed to protect themselves. I said, you're like the predator's best friend, and uh, so you'll you'll protect your TV and all your belongings and everything, but you send those little innocent, vulnerable victims out into the world with no knowledge, and you expect them to know when predators are doing things to them when they don't even understand their own bodies and what's happening. And I said. That's criminal, 
And, and, and so I think they were so confused by the conversation that they ended up kind of voting for it. Cause they're like, oh, oh, oh. Uh, right. You know, because I basically said, you know, do you want to, part- do you want to be part of the problem? So I, we've got to get this information out and you're so right. Teach kids mm-hmm. the bare bones basics. We just say wear a swimsuit covers. Like nobody should touch you in these places. End of story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Simple, simple stuff. I mean, We're not doing any justice for our children. You know, we're doing an injustice. This is what I tell them. Yes, you can teach them how to cross the street, and you should. Um, You know, and you can teach them not to take candy and stuff and pills today, right, Um, or or whatever from people that you don't know and, and, you know, you don't know where it came from. Um, I mean, that's a good thing to teach them, but teach them also, too, about the rest of it. And don't say, you know, I don't want to teach them at this age because they're too young. Because look at all the predators. I was six, all right? I was six, and many of them are a lot younger than me, you know what I'm saying, Um, who were uh, first, you know, uh, assaulted. Because that's what it is. It's crimes against children. It's it's crimes against against children. children. And child help, speak up, be safe, prevention, education is evidence-based and age-appropriate. So there is nothing your child's going to learn that is not 100% age-appropriate from pre-K all the way through high school. And the conversation gets more complex the older the kids get, but it's all the most simple, straightforward scenarios. Uh, so when they get older, they start to learn about what trafficking grooming looks like, what what um, more sophisticated online stuff looks like. But even the, the we've taught in preschools, and I remember a teacher saying, I don't think they'll understand this. And she shared a story. She actually called our facilitator back and said, Oh my gosh, I was so skeptical. And uh, a few weeks later, a little boy was kind of reaching under the skirt of a little girl and she stood up and she put her arms around herself and she said, it's my body. And he pulled his hands away and he said, I'm, oh, I'm sorry. And so both the little boy and the little girl learned. He learned to keep his hands to himself and she learned right. it's my body. And they were both able to just like continue playing. And, and I just thought that's what a culture of safety looks like when you teach the right lessons. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and that, that's so, so, so true. And you can tell when a kid is, has been educated as to, uh, you know, what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. Mm-hmm. And um, kids outside playing, this is really quickly I can say this, kids outside playing in the neighborhood not far from me, they were playing in the front yard. Uh, they were playing ball. They were playing kickball, big yard. And the, this van was going around and around and around and around. And, and there was a little girl that they wanted. There were two guys in this van, <sighs> unmarked vehicle, okay, white van. And uh, so anyway, all of a sudden this shows you how brazen they are. They hit, he he parked the vehicle, the one guy behind the wheel parked the vehicle, the other one got out, and he started to walk towards where these children were playing. The other one got out, and he was with them also. They get to where that little girl is, and they're, they want that little girl. They're going, to, they're going to take her. They're going to kidnap her. Oh well, God. the little girl had been spoken to by her parents. Bravo. She saw them yeah. approaching. And she started to scream. And when she was oh, screaming, the others started to scream. And the, But still, this one guy was more brazen than the other. He continued to go towards her. I think he thought he could just plan, reach forward, you know, and, and get her. Yeah. 
but she kicked him so hard in the shin. <laughs> she Amazing. kicked him so hard in the shin. Yes. And um, she, she, you know, they were playing ball. Maybe she was a good athlete. I don't know. But she kicked him very hard in the shin. And uh, people were able to get the license plate number. He ran as he could back to the uh, van and so did the other one. He was already there, I think. They took off. By the time they got out of that complex, okay, that neighborhood complex, um, the police were at the other end. Thank God there was a car in the area. And uh, nice. it didn't matter because they had the, the description of them. They had the description of the vehicle. They had the description. They had the license plate number, and they were caught. They were caught. Cool. Attempted. Uh, Fantastic. Kidnapping. And you know, uh, one yes. of our one of our uh, uh, body safety rules is: I can yell, I can run, I can get. Uh, so, so it's called "I have choices," and they give the kids real scenarios like that and what to do mm-hmm. in those cases. And that's the, you know that girl. Uh, she was ready. She was ready, uh, and she, and it kept her safe. And imagine if she, if she didn't have that lesson and didn't know, uh, we may never know what happened to her. That's right. She would have been a, a statistic, and, a statistic. and it's terrible. It's just terrible, you know. Yeah. So you know, by not training your children properly, that's why I keep saying you're doing them an injustice. They say, oh, we want to keep them, you know, away from things like that. We want to keep them, you know, in the dark, if you will, in the dark for a while longer. Well, you're putting them at risk is what you're doing. A hundred percent. And uh, And you can turn our messages power. Our our little program is fun. It's empowering. It's about you and your choices and your safety. And uh, it it is not dark. It is not sad. It is not miserable. But, boy, when those kids come forward and we find out which little kid in the class is an abuse victim, it changes the course of that classroom. And that child gets help. And your child also is smarter and, and better prepared for what could possibly happen. And the kids become support for the other kids. So children will sometimes disclose to each other and they know what to do to help their little friends. Well, thank you so much for everything you said. You were a wonderful guest. The show is over. Well, thank you so much for having me. (laughs) Well, Well, I wish you guys luck. We always think about you. Thank you for what you do. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much, and uh, you'll be hearing from me again. And anytime you want to send little bits and pieces like you're talking about, things that maybe we could put, you know, posts, that's great. You know, like the, the telephone number you were talking about, you know, and put, you know, child help on top and so forth. And uh, so that people can understand, you know, that the adults can understand. You know how they can teach their children. Oh, I could turn that into a show. Yes, I could. <laughs> you Absolutely. Gave me okay. Awesome. All right. Well, well thank, thank you for so having much, me, Daphne. Okay. Good All night. Right. Now. Bye, guys. Good. Have a great bye night. Bye bye. You bye, too. Bye bye. Bye bye, honey. Thank you. Good night, everybody, and God bless. Love Talk Radio.
doing. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.